Welcome to a new series of CoinGeek Conversations. To kick it off, Dr. Craig Wright finally signs as Satoshi. I don't know what all the fuss was about. In this show, Dr. Wright talks about crypto regulation, N-Chain's strategy, libel, and AI. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Craig, you've started a new series of Bitcoin masterclasses, two days each, and there's a whole series of them coming up. The first one happened last week in London. What's the idea behind that? Okay, so there are a lot of topics that have been misrepresented and misunderstood within Bitcoin and um, uh, sort of the, the concept of how blockchain works generally. Uh, the first one was about privacy, confidentiality, and even touched anonymity. And these topics have been um, twisted into meaning something that they aren't. So who did you have in mind? Who do you think the audience is for these uh, workshops? Um, people who are entrepreneurs, developers, uh, people involved with um, Bitcoin, blockchain, etc. in some way. Uh, what I want to do is get people to start understanding the capacity and capability of the system, how they can um, develop different areas. So in uh, the one just um, the other week, uh, we covered off um, concepts of privacy and how Bitcoin can be private. Now, having identity and traceability, people put that together and think you end up with utopia, a sort of uh, dystopian system of Orwell where everyone's known and everything is traced and we end up with social credits like um, the Chinese government want to implement. Uh, but the reality here is as you scale Bitcoin, it becomes more and more private because of the number of transactions that you, you have to sort through. And um, uh, although you still have traceability, you also have privacy. And it becomes analogous to um, physical notes. So the serial number in a note is rather private, but it's still traceable. When you go to a, a bank or an ATM, they have the notes ordered. Um, they take photos of the, um, the notes in ATMs. Um, and they've been used in solving crimes in the past. So if you can solve a murder using the serial number on a, a physical note, then it means there is a link that is not anonymous. That was a very interesting little thing that I learned. Uh, really didn't have anything to do with Bitcoin, but it made me think so that if a criminal mm. is caught with a whole bunch of cash, then his sort of customers, as it were, can be identified if at least somewhere in the chain between the cash point and the criminal's wallet mm. uh, because of the serial numbers of, the, of each banknote. Well, movies get some of the things wrong when they talk about marked notes, for instance. People think that there's some sort of marker that will shine up and you can hold a special light and see. Actually, it's far simpler than that. You just write down the serial number. And when the bank gets a note and they scan uh, computers are very quick these days, OCR will go through and, and um, say whether it's a recognized note or not and then say where it came from. So marked notes don't mean marking the note. You don't need to scribble on it. That would be too obvious. All you do is you write down the serial number. There's only one of those that's unique. Mm, interesting. Um, you used to be a lecturer, mm -hmm. and I got the feeling you, you kind of rather enjoyed this format. There's the, the audience has to answer questions, and mm -hmm. it's sort of like, does it kind of bring you back to the good old days when you were a university lecturer? Yeah, it does. Um, it reminds me, I did some um, like teaching at the New South Wales Police Academy in the past, and 
and sort of sat there with a bunch of um, either um, sort of upskilling cops or trainee cops and um, as well as other people who were just in Charleston. What were you teaching them? Um, I was actually doing law. I was doing um, uh, sort of an intro legal course. Some of the questions that you threw out to the audience were very difficult, I thought. I mean, for instance, I caught, how big is my TCP header in IPv6? Now, <laughs> there was a lot of sort of just awkward looking at looking around and shuffling. Um, of course, that's a, um, a trick question in a way because you can say there's a minimum header size, but um, with variable um, header conditions in IPv6, it could actually be uh, a sliding scale. So. Oh, right. <laughs> I, I looked it up on Google and I was going, if, if you'd asked me after I looked it up in Google, I would have said 40 bytes, but it is a trick question because it's only 20 in IPv4. Mm. Yeah, IPv4 is uh, far smaller. So Right. <laughs> of course, there is plenty of opportunity to hear you talk about Bitcoin. Um, Ryan X. Charles's uh, videos come to approximately 60 hours of you talking to him. And then you've got uh, Xiao Liu, 23 videos of 23 hours of that. More is better, of course, but there's, there's not exactly a shortage of explanation from you about Bitcoin. Uh, well, yes and no. Some of those other ones, like with Ryan, went into the fundamentals of the white paper. With Xiao Wei, we went into technical topics. So now we're covering other areas that haven't been done. More of a management and yeah, and it's also workshopping and trying to get people to think of ideas they can use. So if you're right. an entrepreneur, you want to start a business, uh, maybe a new wallet. How do I do that? Um, how do I have something that differentiates and creates a company that would be valuable because it's different? To get the sort of Bitcoin message across, you need to straddle the, the technology at one end and almost economics and a philosophy at the other, and kind of bring them together? Well, if you look at Bitcoin uh, right back from the white paper, it's a combination of game theory, of um, statistics, economics, computer science, uh, network science, uh, and a variety of other topics. So I did pl uh, try and stay away from politics, but um, that doesn't seem to work well, well because certain people on both sides hijack it. On the, on the question of political discussion, I, I liked when you talked about the good old days, well, actually good old days a couple of centuries ago, I think, when people met in coffee shops and had proper debates about mm. things. Um, and, um, you know, arguments don't mean yelling at each other, you say. Well, you do a fair amount of yelling yourself on Twitter and other outlets. Well, that's not really yelling. Well, it's the sort of isn't it the digital equivalent of yelling? Yeah, some of it is, but um, usually only when there's trolls and you want to shut them down. Um, for instance, on YouTube with this guy, Crypto Rick, um, you seemed completely unrestrained in your comments about naming people, actually. Quotes, involved in terrorism, people smuggling and drug dealing, and you named other people scumbags, basically criminals. I mean, But Binance is. I mean... Um, uh, I, I was saying back in 2019 that Binance were linked to Hydra and North Korea. Mm -hmm. And everyone said, oh, it's a load of BS, um, got no evidence, blah, blah, blah. Um, Hydra doesn't even exist. It's all a myth. And just a few weeks ago, of course, um, a large exchange that are linked to Binance get shut down and Binance run around going, oh, we didn't really know. But those are libelous comments, aren't they? I mean, no, you no, no. Libel would... is covered by truth. Well, 
I mean, yeah, I, what I, I mean I, is that they're libelous. You could defend yourself with truth, yeah, but, but it's not libelous if it's true. So technically, right, you'd be found. Yeah, you'd be found not so guilty. So therefore, it's, true. it's not libelous. So, but you'd have to prove that the people involved had been involved in people no, smuggling I, and drug dealing. No, and stuff, no, no. All I need to do is show that these things go through. As an example, I set up in one day uh, ten thousand email addresses and registered ten thousand accounts on Binance. Um, from the US, um, both in the US and the foreign Binance, uh, where I had a two BTC limit. Um, and in theory, um, their argument is that uh, they have money, AML provisions, but that's $40,000 an account. So that, that's $400 million a day that I could transfer. And I could have added more accounts. You mean if you were money laundering? If I was money laundering. Yeah. Now, we also know that um, uh, my allegations about Hydra and ties to these things that I made years ago mm. are now proven true. So, Right. So well, you went through a whole experiment to to try and demonstrate this to yourself or? Yeah, I did. And uh, one of the things that came out later was last year I made accusations about a number of exchanges saying that, I can't remember the exact figure, but it was like um, uh, a very small amount of um, um, BTC actually held because you could look at the money going in and out. Uh, and then with the sales, et cetera, they're mostly naked trades and it was like 5% of the actual BTC. So they had... Um, far more BTC on sale than exist. There's, there's, I mean, in some of these like FTX and Binance together, there are over 40 million Bitcoin being sold. Which that, that's exist. difficult when yeah. there's, I mean, if you think about it for a moment. Right. And even when you account for the same thing being sold in multiple exchanges, like some people argued, it's still too much right. Bitcoin on right, sale. Right. And of course, now we know that FTX didn't have it. Um, so, I mean... I said these things, I, I showed, uh, I told people what I did for my methodology and how I did it. Um, and of course, rather than actually validating um, properly and scientifically, people would just go, BS, it can't be. These, these guys are all good. FTX would never scam us. Well, today, actually, the UK government has announced it's putting out for consultation some ideas about regulating crypto. What's your attitude to that? Well, the... Law actually exists already. So back in 1996, the unicentral provisions from the UN were implemented uh, and adopted by Europe. And, uh, of course, part of that meant Britain as well because we were part of the European Union at that time. So we already have digital currency, digital cash rules. And saying Bitcoin's different, well, it's actually not. So what we need to have is people to understand that the things like promotion rules that cover stocks, shares, bonds, etc., should apply. Going, it's crypto, well, so what? Yeah, I mean, you've always argued that uh, it should be just thought of as being something that's subject to the ordinary law anyway. So I'm wondering what special provisions should be added, if necessary, for the crypto business, or, or is it already covered, do you think? I believe it should already be covered. I mean, we should just actually start applying the rules. And the argument that it's new, that it's online, it's really not. I mean, the UN rules were put in because of um, uh, all of the cryptocurrency things in the 90s. And this includes web IPOs. And web IPOs were basically a, a whole ICO-type craze uh, where people um, listed, a, well, 
did the equivalent of listing a company, but sold shares like pink sheets on the internet um, and then promised a whole lot of things to the extent that there's even an, a Simpsons episode about it. Right. And where um, Bart's working for a startup and um, uh, he wants to go to the toilet and um, they, they ask where the toilet paper is and they point and there's a, a roll of stock. Right. So ICOs would be covered by that as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The argument there is, oh, but we don't give out dividends, but neither does Facebook. And that's still a share. Right. Dividends aren't necessary. How would uh, Bitcoin SV be uh, affected by any kind of regulation that you think should be introduced that isn't there now? Oh, we won't at all. I mean, we've already, all, always been um, sort of working to stay within all of the legal frameworks in, in this country. So um, it'll just make our life easier as everyone else has to now start doing things that we've been doing already. I, I wonder whether there's a contradiction between the government saying we want to regulate crypto in the UK and we want to make the UK a sort of hub for the crypto business. I would have thought the crypto business would really go away from a place that is highly regulated? Uh, crypto, maybe, but not blockchain, not logistics. So the, the real applications that the government wants to see are not crypto. So if you're talking about um, uh, sort of, say, uh, like Unisot and um, tracking the movement of fish. Supply chain. Supply chain. Um, then that has nothing to do with trading on crypto markets. But that doesn't really need regulating, does it? Um, but, I mean, it's covered under law. So, yeah. I mean, there's no uh, – they self-regulate. They don't go out there yeah. touting themselves I think when the government, money. I think when the government talks about regulating, it really means protecting consumers from being ripped off. But the difference here is um, Unisot aren't like many of the ICO people who go out there promising the world and um, not delivering. So instead of building a company and seeking to uh, increase sales and the old-fashioned way, these other people want to get the money first mm -hmm. and then pivot. I mean, one of the things you said at the workshop was that you wanted to see Enchain doing a better job of sales and marketing. I mean, so I suppose my question is, I don't really know what goes on at Enchain, but doesn't Bitcoin technology or BSV sort of just recommend itself to people who understand this stuff? Does it really need to be marketed in the way that a, a business or a consumer product would? How do you know about it? Well, I suppose if you're in that sector, it's, that's part of your job, isn't it, to know what's available in, in technology? Supply chain, um, media, all sorts of areas, I suppose. But why would these people know about things that haven't been created yet? So, for instance, we have solutions that would suit DHL, and when we scale, it'll become even cheaper, et cetera. But if someone's out there telling them, there's going to be knowledge. If there's no one telling them, then how do they know? I mean, there's a blockchain thingy, and there's, there's like 20,000 other ones um, that promise to do a whole lot of things. How do we know that yours actually does? It's just that everyone always draws the comparison between uh, blockchain and the internet, but people didn't have to go out and sell the internet to entrepreneurs. Uh, wrong. I went to parties by Cisco from Sun. I got flown around the world when I was young um, because of Digital Equipment Corporation. Um, no, I mean, Interop. 
uh, if you think about the Interop conference that went around the world every year. Um, big, massive conferences, multi-day events. Um, flu Trying to encourage people to start businesses on the internet. Yes. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, huge. Um, Cisco conferences I went to, they had um, celebrities and uh, all sorts of things. I mean, far more than the crypto, uh, crypto waste <laughs> industry now. They've wasted even more in the dot-com boom. So, I mean, one thing about Enchain is that I know that when you were uh, in the early days of Bitcoin, when you had your own company, De Morgan, in Australia, you were developing specific applications like for the cinema chain Hoyts and also you, you had a, a smart meter company, Greyfog. Why aren't you creating those specific business ideas at Enchain rather than having this sort of grand overview of everything? Well, I mean, we're creating the technology that will run it all. So we have to scale and um, make Bitcoin more robust. So to do all these things that I want people to do, um, I need to basically take Bitcoin to where it's going to scale to billions of transactions a second. But I thought it was all done and dusted from the day it was released. No, of course not. But what about this protocol set in stone? Oh, the protocol is one thing, the code's another. Oh, <laughs> I mean, okay. you don't need to change. Um, you can run Winsock, uh, which will connect to TCP IP, and uh, Winsock from 1988 will still connect to the internet. It will be single-threaded, and it will probably do 1K per second. And if you want to watch that movie on Netflix, you'll probably have to three, uh, have three days worth of download before you get five minutes. But technically, it's the same protocol. How do you describe what it is that you're doing that is not the protocol then? Uh, so the sort of ability to distribute and send data. So I said there'd be big blocks, but I didn't describe how that will happen. And I said um, uh, at the time, blocks of the size of two DVDs or more, even for where we should be now. And as you know, that's 10 gigabytes. So I'm talking now about... Um, over a terabyte. And if we're talking terabytes worth of data, and you have it's not minutes, you have to be able to send those in three to five seconds. Now, if you think about it for a moment, can you copy a terabyte of data from your hard drive at home in five seconds? No. No. So we have to have distributed systems and new ways of actually multi-threading data so that we can actually do this uh, quicker than most people think is po uh, physically possible. And in doing that, we've had to invent new technology, new methodologies, all sorts of things. But people who are not involved with that work can still go on using Bitcoin in exactly the same way that they did on day one when you released it. Oh, yeah, it, that'll work the same. But the distinction is it won't hit some hurdle where the, the transaction cost goes up to 30 or $40. just want to ask you about one other thing that I caught in the workshop about artificial intelligence. You don't have a very good positive view of artificial intelligence. The quote was, artificial intelligence will never be intelligent. Well, um, my, my term for AI is actual ignorance. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I just want to challenge you on that because um, I asked ChatGPT what I thought was a rather difficult <clears throat> question about what you mentioned earlier. Uh, this was the question. What lessons can we learn from the use of serial numbers on a five-pound note that led to the arrest of the Yorkshire Ripper in relation to the anonymity or otherwise of cash and the relevance of that to the traceability of Bitcoin? 
And the answer, I, there's like five paragraphs. I'm just going to read you one bit of it because I was, I was impressed and I wonder whether you will be. On the one hand, cash transactions are generally considered to be anonymous as they do not typically require personal identifying information to be exchanged. On the other hand, as demonstrated in the case of the Yorkshire Ripper, cash transactions can be traced through the use of serial numbers or other unique identifiers. This trade-off is also relevant to the traceability of Bitcoin transactions. While Bitcoin transactions are recorded on a public ledger called the blockchain, they're not directly linked to personal identifying information. This allows for a degree of anonymity in Bitcoin transactions, similar to cash transactions. However, like cash, the pseudonymous nature of Bitcoin transactions can also make them traceable through the use of unique identifiers such as Bitcoin addresses. Yeah, I think um, ChatBG needs to actually put references um, because... I mean, basically, it goes out there and finds other pages and mashes them up. And, um, yeah, if a human did that, it'd be called plagiarism. But anyway. But do you not think that that's a pretty succinct explanation of... Oh, it's a, a very good way of taking search information and mashing it together. Okay, but I don't believe that there is... But it hasn't come up with this. I mean, all it's done is machine learning to find the terms yes. and take what people have already written. Okay, but I mean, nobody's arguing against that. But that's Obviously, not intelligence. That's okay, statistical well, machine learning. Then? What, what, would, what would be different that was in, an intelligent answer to that question, do you think? Mm, well, I mean, intelligence requires creativity for a start. So people argue that they can make art or make music, but they can't. What they do is they, they do a mashup that people then choose. So the way um, the artificial intelligence applications for artwork is they will put things that um, randomly together and then have people choose and go, yes, I'll now start doing these ones because hmm. the majority of people chose that. And because of that, we don't end up with anything particularly good. It averages everything. So this is the problem with um, Netflix, and I covered this when I was doing statistics and the beginning of some of these algorithms um, back in 2008 or so, and they average everything, and it gives you the mean, but you never get anything great. What, you don't do you get as many in, terrible what do you mean in what they commission? Yes, and what they, they start developing. And this is why Nick Cave the other day, someone uh, – used chat GPT to write songs and Nick Cave came out and said, this is the most horrible music that I've ever heard. Right. But if, I mean, if it, if it were possible that a picture that's created by AI or a story or something <clears throat> was indistinguishable for most people from one that had been written by a person. No, no. But the problem is all it's doing is something similar to an existing thing. But so if I want to write a story or if I want to paint a picture, I'm only using ideas that have come into my head, just like the AI. Not necessarily. I mean, you might, but if you compare something like Dostoevsky or Shakespeare. Yeah, but he's still working with the perceptions that he has received during well, his well, lifetime. Shakespeare took, um, for instance, in his Roman series, uh, works from Plutarch. Plutarch's characters and Shakespeare's characters are very different. Yeah. The psychology of the characters was added by Shakespeare. The stories are there. 
But Shakespeare made them live. He, in Hamlet, created someone who was larger than a caricature and a true individual, someone who was an early modern human mm. before modern humans and created the idea uh, of many aspects of modernity. That takes creativity. That's not what the machine's doing. But I'm just the not, machine is doing Mills and Boone. I'm just not convinced that all your that you're saying anything more than it's not very good at the moment. Well, no, it is basically taking existing ideas mm. and reconstructing them. But isn't that what we do in our brains? No. For instance, with what you're putting there, that would be rejected by a university as plagiarism. Really? Yes. So, but it's not plagiarism. You wouldn't be able to find this written anywhere else. I could actually point out two of my blogs that actually have <laughs> very close to that. Right, but it, but it's not plagiarism. Is where you've actually taken a bit of text and no plagiarism it. is where you take someone's idea without. But isn't that what academic work is all about in the humanities? No, you attribute. Well, yes, okay. There, there could be there could be footnotes to this, certainly. Well, definitely. Some some AI systems do add footnotes, actually. Well, they should. Well, okay, but then if they do, they're, 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 then there's nothing left that's different between that and... There is in that it is regression to the mean. And your argument is, don't we produce a whole lot of adequate but not good academics? And I'll agree. Right. But that's not <laughs> what we're talking about. I'm not a communist. I don't look at... I mean, I... I more follow someone like Nietzsche or Rand. I, I believe in the aristocratic. I believe in the ideal, the perfect, the aesthetic, the great. So I don't like Tolstoy. I don't think um, the idea of the average man is what we should strive for. I think we should strive for greatness. And a system that basically pushes us down to the average, if we keep pushing down to the average, the only thing with equity is it equalizes down. And if we keep equalizing down, eventually down becomes nothing. Well, thank you very much, Craig. I, I would like us to come back exactly this time next week. We can wear exactly the same clothes. And um, I'd like to ask you more about politics and history next week. So, But for, for this week, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Thanks very much to Dr. Craig Wright. Please join us for more next week when we'll be going back to the origins of Bitcoin with Craig explaining how he got the whole thing started. Thanks for listening. Until next time, from me, Charles Miller, goodbye.